This is The Kicker, CJR's podcast about all things journalism. I'm Pete Burke. Two topics for you this week. We'll dive into the reportedly amicable departure of Jamel Hill from ESPN and question whether it's possible for a media organization to remain apolitical in 2018. But first, John McCain. The Arizona senator, of course, died on Saturday at the age of 81 after a battle with brain cancer. In the days since his death, there's been a deluge of coverage of his life and work from his time as a prisoner of war in Vietnam through his presidential runs and his more recent positioning as the anti-Trump voice of the Republican Party. A lot of that coverage has been positive. The media loved McCain. He made himself available to them in ways that few politicians do. We'll dive into that coverage and discuss what was responsible for the love affair between McCain and the media and had it changed in recent years. Here to discuss that with me and making her debut on The Kicker is CJR Managing Editor Betsy Morais. How's it going, Betsy? Pretty good. And we also have with us CJR Senior Staff Writer Alex Neeson. Alex, great to have you back. Hello. So as the tributes poured in for John McCain, as the obituaries were written, one of the topics that came up again and again was that he was loved by the press and also he loved the press and used them to his advantage. But that kind of raises the question, why did the press love McCain? So I'm going to start us off in 1977 when John McCain entered the Navy's Office of Legislative Affairs. Obviously, he had a history in the Navy. He had been a POW. He had served his country. Now he was in a political role. And his job was basically palling around with legislators, Department of, uh, uh, Department of Defense people and lobbyists. And that was his real entrance into politics. And he was sort of a professional schmoozer. He escorted delegations overseas on trips, and they had a great time. He would stop over to a pub in Dublin. He would have marathon poker games. One senator's son called him the epitome of cool. And when he was in Washington, his office was a sort of gathering place for legislators. And so that was where he kind of codified his personality as a political man and his stories and his tales of of his years, as he said it, being in the cooler. People took a liking to him, and then that translated into his relationship to the press. Yeah, it seems like he brought those formative experiences to his time with the press. One of the things that appeared in a lot of these analyses afterwards was that he was always available. He was always around. He kind of understood the game. And that was something that came through, especially in uh, a piece by the Washington Post, Paul Kane, who said he was the best quote in town. Yeah. I mean, obviously, a big part of our jobs is to ask people questions. And when we can't get them on the phone or to answer emails to get the answers to the questions, it makes our lives really difficult. So when you have somebody, particularly someone who occupied such a high office as, as John McCain, who routinely for, it sounds like, years, forever really. Was Way longer like, than uh, we've been alive. <laughs> longer than I've been living and certainly longer than I've been doing journalism, that he always answered the phone or he always called you back and he was always accessible. So yeah, and he was cheeky and he was fun and he was uh, kind of a person who was reliable. If you needed a, the answer to a question, he could be relied on. And so yeah, journalists like him. Yeah, making our jobs easier is an easy way to uh, get coverage <laughs> and at times get positive coverage. Alex, one of the things you said in watching the immediate reaction was this sort of weird expression of that warm relationship between the press and this subject of their coverage. Especially it seemed like on TV or on social media, 
in the hours after he died over the weekend, there was an outpouring of emotional responses from journalists. Yeah, and I want to preface what I'm about to say with uh, the acknowledgement <laughs> that a man has died, and so the public expression of sympathy or of empathy is like totally normal. <laughs> but it sort of gave me pause to see reporters, particularly on Twitter, express personal sympathies in their public roles as a journalist. So this wasn't just, you know, reporters talking amongst themselves about this person who was a part of them doing their jobs for so long who was now gone. But it was going on Twitter and sort of thanking him um, and the, these kind of syrupy tributes that, that were sort of centered around him being accessible, but also around him just being like a friend of, a, of the free press. And, and it sort of made me it was a little uncomfortable or maybe it was maybe it wasn't uncomfortable so much as it was just strange because we especially as of late are sort of falling all over ourselves to establish these boundaries and to convince people to take the press seriously and we're nobody's friend and we're about accountability and politicians represent the institutions that they work within and our jobs is to hold those institutions and thus those politicians to account and so this is not a thing where we're friendly and I think we use that sort of as a defense definitely um, against criticisms that we were too friendly to Obama and then uh, and then the flip of that is in the many arguments that we have about coverage of Donald Trump being unfriendly or mean-spirited or whatever. And so this seemed to sort of fly the totally opposite direction of that, where suddenly it's all we're all about like this is friendly and uh, and and let's like be publicly journalists, but also sort of like, I don't know. I don't, it was just kind of a weird. It seemed against the the messaging that we have tended to employ lately. Yeah, it seems like this really is about a reaction to Trump. Because everyone's looking at McCain, who's the man with integrity, the man who was in the box for his country for years and refused an early trip home because he didn't want to disappoint his country. He had a sense of what America was supposed to be and what the role of these institutions were supposed to be, that sort of that journalists also have about their profession and their sense of what their own institution is. And so that plus his just total charm, especially after he's died makes him seem so different and so much better than Trump, who McCain has stood against and who Trump has played off of. And just even like with the release of his memoir in May, McCain has talked about regret and he's talked about apology and reflection. I'm sure we'll see that in Trump's eventual memoir. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, that that's sort of the thing that journalists hope to get when they ask those questions. <laughs> it seems almost like people appreciated the response they got from their work as much as anything. And now they're just poking and prodding Trump with these loving <laughs> adulations of this fallen hero now. Yeah. And it also seemed to me to reveal this kind of desire this almost desperate desire for what I don't I don't know what else to call this other than centrism. And I think that that's a criticism that a lot of like major mainstream publications. I mean, I guess it's a criticism depending on who says it. But to me, it really revealed in general this desire for centrism. Like we all want doing the work of journalism to be like covering John McCain, somebody who represents honor. And they talk about this code, like a military code that he followed, but also like an American code one that in which you put the interests of the country above yourself. 
And so the way that we've that, that reporters are kind of rallying around this and, and after he's now died, to me, reveals this kind of fantasy that we that this is what it could be like. And maybe that is about Trump because it's not like that with him. Yeah. It, and it, as a, also a conservative, by the way, not a yeah. centrist. Like he has these well, ideas. Yeah. <laughs> right. But he supported the Iraq war. He dug into that support when it wasn't going well. When he was in South Carolina, this is the thing that came up in the 2000 campaign when he was on the Straight Talk Express, <laughs> that when he was in South Carolina, he was asked the question about the Confederate flag in 2000, yeah. and he said nothing, and then he went back on that. That recognition somehow made him appear centrist and appear uh, reasoned, but at the same time, when he was asked the question, he said no, and he supported all the policies that a conservative would have. Right. Yeah. I don't mean to say that that John McCain was centrist. I mean, like the press, maybe maybe centrism is not the right word. It's like romantic, isn't it? It's this romantic yeah. ideal of what politics and service Dignified. are supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Like like we're all in this together and the politicians have their parties and they have their beliefs. But they're really, they're all here for America. And the press is like that. And the press is a part of that sort of formula where we're just here asking the questions in, in the interest of country. And, and that's kind of what he seems to to represent. So that addresses the, you, you called it centrist, and let's call it the mainstream media reaction to it, whether you're talking about CNN or NBC on, on Meet the Press, where he set the record for most appearances, and same with Face the Nation. But there was also a strain of criticism from both the left and the pro-Trump kind of far right that criticized McCain that said he's getting too much attention. The media, air quotes, is propping this guy up who didn't deserve it. And I found that interesting, too, because that seems to be just a completely different narrative. And it does feel to me like there are kind of two different media worlds surrounding the coverage of his death and his career, that you have these mainstream outlets praising and, and maybe romanticizing his life and actions and rhetoric. But you also have critics from the, not the fringes, but the ends of the political spectrum and the media spectrum, giving a different perspective uh, or taking a different line on him. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe either of you have more thoughts about what those specific criticisms are from on the right and the left, but it's it's kind of demonstrative of, like, this is a game almost. Like, our response or the mainstream response suggests that a game exists that I think we typically fall all over ourselves to deny to deny its existence like this is a game you give us the access and we can't always guarantee the story is going to be good but like in the end we're friendly here and that's kind of what we're demonstrating i don't know if you guys just betsy's looking at me <laughs> like maybe you just well I'm, I'm imagining trump sitting in his bed in the morning and in the wee hours watching all the coverage of john mccain and just feeling so enraged and so envious and not understanding why he doesn't get the same kind of tribute. <laughs> yeah. And whatever you think of his politics, he appeared at all of these moments over the past five decades in public life, whether it's Vietnam, whether it's in scandal in the late 80s, whether it's running for president twice or now taking on Trump and in that way lived a unique American life. Shifting gears a bit for our second topic, over the weekend, James Andrew Miller reported that Jamel Hill will be leaving ESPN at the end of the month. Miller characterized the breakup as amicable and said it had been a long time coming. 
Hill, of course, is a veteran journalist, once the only African-American woman sports columnist at a major paper, and has become a high-profile figure at ESPN. But over the past year, she's come to symbolize the worldwide leader's struggle to adapt to the intersection of sports and politics in the age of Trump. Newish ESPN president Jimmy Pataro recently told a group of journalists that it's not our jobs to cover politics. And Hill's decision, this mutual decision, it seems like, for her to move on to new endeavors echoes that sentiment. But I wonder for ESPN, and there's a much larger conversation here about the way ESPN is viewed as a proxy for the culture wars, but this idea that ESPN could somehow avoid covering politics, is that something that is realistic? No. <laughs> Everything you- is political. Yeah. Everything is political, and also the public statement that you're making a decision to be apolitical or what you believe to be apolitical is its own political class. Um, and, and especially in sports, it's never not been political. Perhaps you could make the argument that it's that it's only ever been not political for white people, but I think even then, that's probably not true either. I, I, like, I don't understand the divorce. Yeah, there's this kind of mythic idea that all sports are supposed to be are an escape, right? That you're supposed to be able as a fan to open a beer, sit on the couch, watch the game and escape from the real world. But you mentioned they've always been political. You can go back to any number of events, whether they're labor, whether they're race, whether they are sexual orientation. And sports is at the center of a lot of those. Of course, we're entering football season where ESPN is part of this apolitical stance decided we're not going to show the national anthem as a way to avoid the controversy surrounding players protesting police brutality and racial injustice, or if you are of the same mindset as President Trump, protesting the flag. Also, that's like not even okay. They're not going to put it on TV, but like the anthem is still going to be played, and the people who are going to kneel are still going to kneel, and the people in the stadiums watching it are going to react in the same way. And so, like, you've not eliminated the politics from this; you've just taken it off TV. And I don't know, which is a political act. Yeah, I'm annoyed by this. (laughs) I I can tell. Yeah, I mean, it it raises the question: uh, this, among many other decisions, of just what the hell is ESPN doing? I don't know. Well, we were talking earlier about Kurt Schilling, who... <laughs> Formerly of ESPN, now of Breitbart. For, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's one way one could go in their career. He compared Muslims to Nazis. He lost his job. To replace him on Sunday Night Baseball, ESPN hired Jessica Mendoza, who is not a Kurt Schilling type <laughs> and who was breaking a barrier, and ESPN enjoyed telling people about that. That's political. Jessica Mendoza is representing people that audiences want to see on TV, just as Jamel Hill represented people that audiences want to see on TV. And the absence of people like that on ESPN is political, and the saturation of the white male presence on ESPN is political. And then just talking about distancing sports from political action is not ever what sports has been about. Yeah, it seems to me like ESPN is on the defensive here, right? There's this narrative out there that it is a liberal network for reasons like Jessica Mendoza or choosing Caitlyn Jenner as the recipient of the Arthur Ashe Courage Award a few years ago. And that there has been this kind of weird astroturf, I don't know if astroturf is the right word, but movement in conservative media to paint ESPN as some sort of bastion of liberal insidious influence. And that's just clearly not the case. This is a major corporation or part of a major corporation 
and that corporation is worried about ESPN's financial future. So they're playing on the defensive here and clumsily saying, we're not going to anger anyone. We're just going to stay out of things. Obviously, that didn't work. They got a Trump tweet for deciding not to air the anthem. I just don't know if in this moment in 2018, it's possible for a news organization, a media organization, or really any organization that deals in any aspect of culture to be apolitical. I mean, it just seems like they're very blatantly cherry picking which political issues they're willing to wade into. So with Jessica Mendoza, with Jamel Hill, maybe that's like good press, right? Because the first, the first uh, or the only. And so that's something that they're willing to identify themselves as like, you know, they're willing to participate in political discussions when it's beneficial. This one comes with a whole lot of criticism. And so this is the thing that they're walking back on or seeming to walk back on, which is disappointing. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be along the lines of the sort of stick to sports cliche or the shut up and dribble statement. So if ESPN is not political, does this mean that the next time some football player beats up his wife, they're not going to report on it at all? Because that's an issue that has political implications, right? Domestic violence. I don't know. Like, are they never going to, are we just not going to comment on any of that stuff at all? And all we're going to do is air the game, show the score and cut and that's it. That doesn't seem like what ESPN has ever been trying to be is, is just play the game and then that's it. There's always been this sort of cultural coverage that, that's part of sports coverage, like sports as culture. And as and so we have to cover the people and we have to cover the game and we have to cover the thing that the people who play the things that the people who play the games do as well. And so it just seems disingenuous to suggest that we're not we're not going to deal with the politics and it's just about sports as though the two are not like forever married. Yeah, it's a story I'm sure that we have not heard the end of, and I'm sure President Trump's (laughs) Twitter account will make sure that uh, we haven't heard the end of it. That was our show. Thanks for kicking it with us. Thanks to Betsy for making your debut down here. Thank you. And Alex for being here as a supportive co-host as always. (laughs) Happy to. Please check out all the great work we've got up at cjr.org, and we'll see you next week. 